Good morning, Cornerstone. Happy Sunday. Before I get to my message, I wanted to give you a little update about how our uh, Church Together gatherings are going at the building. We're now our fourth, doing our fourth Sunday of Church Together. A few weeks ago, we had a little interruption, however. Uh, we found out the night before, uh, Saturday night, the night before our gathering, that one of our staff members who was at our staff meeting earlier that week on Tuesday had tested positive for COVID-19 and was showing symptoms since that meeting. Uh, out of an abundance of caution, we canceled that service just to make sure that our staff was not going to be a threat to anyone else. Um, a number of us contacted our doctor. A number of us uh, took tests as it was recommended. And all those tests came back negative and we all received the, the okay from our doctors to be back at the building and to be with people again. So that's just brought up some questions within our congregation of how we're going to communicate when things like this happen in the future. Right now, we're not planning on sending church-wide emails out every time a staff member gets sick. There are some legal issues with that and some privacy issues that we want to honor. But what we will do is we will notify anyone that has been exposed to them. We'll notify anyone that uh, if there's any decisions that affect those people. And we will post on our website uh, the details that we can share. But I think what most people want to be assured of is that we're doing our best to keep people safe. So I can assure you of this. If we have a staff member or volunteer that has any symptoms or they're in the midst of a quarantine period and they don't have the okay from a doctor, they will not be at our, at our gatherings. Now saying that, we all know about uh, asymptomatic people and that is why it's important that when we're together that we practice social distancing and wear our masks. And so at our church together gatherings, we wear our masks, we go find our seats, we're able to pull our masks down as we worship and listen to the message. And then when we leave, we put our masks back on and follow distancing. So all of those things are really important as we gather together. And uh, we just want you to know that. So we're doing our best to keep people as safe as possible. Um, but we are in uncharted waters and you know this whole thing feels like building a bridge while you're crossing the river at the same time. And so we appreciate your patience and your feedback in helping us just figure out how we're going to communicate. And if you ever have any questions, you're welcome to contact me um, through my email, which is on the website. All right, enough of that. Let's, let's get to our message and let's pray together as we start. Father, we thank you for this day. And uh, I pray right now just in the quiet of prayer that we would be aware of your presence we thank you that you're with us, you're always with us. But we often move through our day, we're filled with anxiety, there's things to do, and we fail to see that you are with us, resourcing us. So right now, Father, we just want to receive from you. We thank you that you're with us. We also, Lord, thank you for the people that are with us. Whether it's people in this room, or different people that are part of Cornerstone watching around Boulder County, or people from around the country and around the world, we thank you for them, and we bless those watching in Jesus' name. We bless them with your peaceful presence. I pray today, Father, that you would fill us with the Spirit so that we might understand what you want to say to us. I pray that you'd use the Scriptures to guide our life. You'd use my teaching to, to, to move us in a certain direction. And Father, I pray for all of us that our hearts would be open to hear what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Many years ago now, Baylor University conducted a study of Christians in America. So this isn't the general public, public, this is just Christians in America spanning all of the different streams and traditions. So you have the high church Christians, Catholics, Lutherans, Anglicans, all the way to non-denominational Christians and charismatics and evangelicals. And they're trying to find out what people actually thought and felt about God. So interesting survey. There's a number of things that they, they found, the researchers found that got their attention, but one of those that's worth noting today is that 38% of American Christians describe God as an angry judge. 
more specifically that God is um, just always watching, that he's this angry judge, always watching every move that we make, and he's poised to punish us when we fail. Or as James Bryan Smith describes it, he's this giant, unblinking, cosmic stare. I mean, think of that. That's many people's view of God. Nearly four out of 10 Christians. If you were to ask pastors today, and this, this data would just be anecdotal, but most pastors would say that number's probably small. That today, more than four out of 10 Christians have this view of God. You know, we have a huge problem uh, when it comes to faith today in our culture, and a lot of it has to do with these toxic narratives that we carry with us about God. And as a pastor, and a number of our staff does this, we spend a lot of our time trying to help replace people's old toxic narratives about God with things that are more true, because God is true and beautiful and good, and His message is good news. You know, it's been said that God made us in His image. We've read that in this during this series, but what we do is we return the favor and we make God in our image. And the thing that happens with humanity is we don't put on God the best of humanity, which even that would be a mistake, but we put on God the very worst. And so an example of one of these toxic narratives and how we use the, our life as a filter to understand God is, here's one that's common. There are a lot of people today who grow up, grew, or grow up in homes um, where love is not unconditional. And they experienced, experienced love and belonging in their family in a way that was earned. And so love was transactional. Because it could be earned, it also means that it could be lost. And that also meant that their relationships with those closest to them in their family were always unstable and insecure. So what happens is people take that view, perhaps of their parents, and they put it on God. And this makes it really, really hard to walk with Jesus. Even things as good as prayer and scripture can become toxic if we feel like it's just another standard to be measured up to, another way we can fail, or another attempt at striving to please God. Now, one of the things we're trying to do during this series called Bereshit Beginnings is we're laying foundations for a life of flourishing from these ancient Hebrew words that occur in the book of Genesis. And what they do for us is they give us a compelling sacred narrative to lose ourselves in or to find ourselves in, you could say. A big story, a big beautiful story about God and about us. And so here's an example of replacing a toxic narrative because this is what we're trying to do. Dallas Willard, who um, is a, just a brilliant theologian, and he was a professor at the University of Southern California, he often said this to his students because he understood what that study found, that most Christians believe that God is against them. He would say this all the time. Listen to this. God is the most joyous being in the whole universe. Let me say it again and let it sink in. God is the most joyous being in the whole universe. I mean, if we just sit with that for a few days, that would help transform how many of us feel about God. Now in Genesis chapter two, we kind of experience this with the message we're gonna look at today with the tree of life. And so last week, Aaron introduced us to two very important trees that are part of the original story, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. It occurs in Genesis chapter two, verse eight. It says this, now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man and the woman that he had formed, and the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of, the lo- tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In verse 10, a river watering the garden flowed out of Eden. 
Now, so let's just think back to Aaron's message last week. If you haven't listened to it yet, I'd encourage you to do so because Aaron actually was answering and replacing some of these toxic narratives people have about God. So, you know, you start reading about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and a lot of people think God is just this giant killjoy, that he's trying to keep us from certain things, that uh, he's trying to control us. But that's not the way the story is described. We're told in Genesis 2 that God said, you are free to eat from all of the trees except for one. Thousands of trees were theirs to enjoy. You are free. See, the original, uh, one of the original gifts that God has given us is our freedom. You are free to eat from all of the trees except one. See, God is not a giant killjoy. God desires our joy, and God is a giver, and he is not a taker. And from the very beginning, God has been generous. That's what we saw from Aaron's message last week. And that transforms the way we relate to God and to other people. Now, the tree of life also helps answer some toxic narratives. So the Hebrew, Etz Haim, tree of life, is a very powerful image that becomes a theme through the entire biblical story, and it's a thread that holds it together. So we're filming today in Jean and Andrea's backyard, uh, and Andrea shared with us some of her art, and this is actually one of her paintings that I love the most, and she calls this the tree of life or Lady Wisdom. Just full of depth, full of life, full of mystery. You look at it and you wonder. And that's one of the things that we're meant to do when we consider the tree of life. And um, so that's what we're going to talk about today and how this image is actually an image that is used throughout the biblical story. And what it does is it reminds us that God is bringing us to a place that he brought Adam and Eve from the very beginning, a place of choice. And so if you go back to Genesis chapter 2, right there in the middle of the garden was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Why was the tree of life in the middle? Because God wanted it to be easy for them to find. But the trees there represent a choice. And every one of us, whether it's standing before those trees or the other tree of life that we'll see in a moment, are all faced with a choice. And so we're going to get to that. I want to um, describe the tree of life today in, in a number of ways. First of all, I want to tell you what it means. Uh, second of all, I want to show you how it appears throughout the scriptures. And then lastly, I want to bring us to the place that we can see that we stand before two trees today and we have a choice to make. And so the tree of life uh, means, or the, the meaning behind the tree of life is that it is a conduit by which God shares his life, which includes his eternal life with us. So if you think of what's taken place in the story so far, God breathed physical life into human beings but the tree of life would be the means by which God would share his eternal life with Adam and Eve and those that would follow. Now, one of the things that happens and as you read through the, the biblical narrative is you see the authors and even God doing this. You see them riffing on certain metaphors and, and, um, and known illustrations. And the reason for this, it's really simple. God just wants people to understand what he's saying. So back in ancient times, there were a number of cultures that believed in a tree of life. And maybe they're borrowing from this story, or maybe God was using a popular image. But many of these cultures believed that there were sacred trees that gave life to others. They actually believed that these trees were divine, that they were eternal. Now, the difference with the tree of life we find in the scriptures is there's nothing special about the tree except that God chooses to use it to share his eternal life with his people. So God is using this helpful symbol, this metaphor, to illustrate how he wishes to be generous with people and share his eternal life. 
Bruce Watke, a professor of Old Testament and Hebrew studies, describes the tree of life this way. He says, the tree of life represents life, life that is beyond the original life that God breathed into the human race. The first human by nature is susceptible to death. Nevertheless, con uh, nevertheless, continued eating from the tree could renew life and prevent death. Apart from disobedience to God's command, mortals have access to this tree. The tree of life allows humanity to transcend its mortality, the state in which it was created on the sixth day, so it can move to a higher dimension of eternal life and immortality. As one partakes, partakes of the fruit by faith, one participates in his eternal life. So once again, we see God being generous, being a sharer. You to notice the trees there in the middle so that they could find it. Why do they need to find it? Because God meant for Adam and Eve to return to the tree over and over and over again, that it would be sustaining, perhaps on a daily basis. Now, I want to mention a few things that we just understand about ourselves when we look at the tree of life. First of all, the tree of life exists because we were not created eternal. Now, this is a new idea for a lot of people. We think that we're all created in, in an eternal way, but we weren't. Eternal life is given. It's God's reality that he wishes to share with us, and he wished to share it with us from the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 22, we see this. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us. Many of you know what happened. Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit. So this is what happens. Knowing good and evil, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Eternal life came through this tree. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. What happened with Adam and Eve is they made a choice, and their choice was to believe a lie. That, and that, and this lie, the lie goes this way, that life does not come from God. Life comes from God. Eternal life comes from God. And the tragedy of their choice was that they were separated from that at least for a moment. But life comes from God. The tree of knowledge or the tree of life was meant to be the sustaining fruit that they ate from often in the same way that we have to eat, eat food and drink water on a, on a daily and weekly basis to stay healthy and to, to have a sustained life. Maybe it's more like uh, oxygen that we have to draw from every moment to live. The tree of life was meant to do that. So we were not made eternal, but it's meant to be a gift shared with us. That also means that we were not made mortal, okay? So let's just spend some time on this subject. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you not, must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. And we want to thank our friendly pilot who's uh, listening to the message today for his flyovers. But let me just say that again. If you eat of this fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. So Jewish insight into these two trees and the choice says, says this. Eden was a place where man and woman was precariously placed between life and death, depending on his or her choice. Why does the choice matter? Because life comes from God. And our experience is not that different than theirs. We're continually faced with a choice to choose. Does life come from God or will we choose another way? Someone else's vision? Will we try to control our own lives? Or will we say life comes from God and trust him? 
Now let me bring up something that I think occurred that helps, makes it very, very hard for us to see that life comes from God. And so there are, you know, different traditions within the, the, the Christian stream. And um, one tradition says that what was inherited after the fall of man and woman, after Adam and Eve eating of that fruit, was that we now pass on to our children a corrupted sinful nature. This is the Western view of that passage. So it comes from kind of the Catholic tradition and, and moves through the Protestant tradition. And most of you listening at home are probably aware of that if you grew up in a church. But there's actually another understanding that I think is helpful for the message today that comes from the Eastern Orthodox tradition. So while Augustine and the Catholics say that sin leads to death, the Eastern Orthodox say it's death that leads to sin. What they say was inherited and passed on from Adam and Eve to their children was a union with death. So they use passages like 1 Corinthians 15, 56, where it says the sting of death is sin. So the order is switched. Now this is what they're saying. They're saying the fear that there won't be enough, the fear that I won't survive, the fear that I have to make my life work for me or we won't survive, that that is a cause of sin. And that uh, awareness that we're immortal and that things might not work out is what is inherited. And so this causes a number of different things like exploitation, racism, selfishness, pride, hiding, all of these things come out of this fear that there's never enough. We're not enough. God's not enough. Ultimately, what they're saying is that life doesn't come from God. And what is inherited is a blindness to what is actually life. That when life is right in front of us, even if it's God, we don't recognize it for what it is. And the things that lead to death look more attractive. So I think it's just an interesting way to think about what was passed on. Could it be that we passed on, we, what was passed on to us from Adam and Eve was just a blindness to what, what life is? So this passage is so helpful. Life comes from God, the tree of life, a means by which he shares his eternal life with us in a sustaining way. Now, that's scene one. There are other trees of life that we see in the scripture and we need to move on. So the second tree of life that we see in the scripture is the Torah. And you could add to that the full law of God, the wisdom of God, or all of the scriptures that he shared with us. So in the book of Proverbs, it says this, blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, and this is a poem describing wisdom as a beautiful woman, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than the rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is at her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways and her paths are peace. Verse 18, she is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. So if you spend time in a Jewish synagogue today, Maybe that synagogue is actually called the tree of life. Jews today believe that God continues to share his eternal life with us now through a new tree, which is now the scriptures. So in the same way that God could use a tree in the garden to share his eternal life, God can choose and has chosen to use the scriptures as a way to share his eternal life with us. So his wisdom, God's word, the Torah, the Bible, all of those things, whatever uh, you're looking at, that's a way in which God brings life into our life. Now, what happens is even with the scriptures and God's very words, he brings Israel to a place of making a choice as well. So it's just like the choice Adam and Eve are making in the garden with the true two trees that are placed in the center. God will do this with Israel. 
So many of you know the story. Jewish people were enslaved for hundreds of years. God delivers them and he saves them and he takes them into the desert. And what God's going to do is he's not just going to take a nation of slaves and save them and liberate them, but he's going to make them into a kingdom of priests. And he's going to show them a different way to be human. And you get to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15. God's law, his scripture has been revealed and given as a gift, but he asks the people to make a choice. You're all free to choose, just like they're free in the garden to eat of any of the trees and even to choose the forbidden tree. God says, you're free to choose. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commandments, his decrees and his laws. And here's the reason why. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to possess. I mean, that's an important thing to know. God's scriptures are a path to life. They're the means by which he's wanting to share life and eternal life with us. If you continue on in Deuteronomy 30 to verse 19, the, the language of choice, it's just like the garden happens again. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. See, once again, God is being generous. And he's saying to people who are perhaps are blind to what is true, he's revealing it to them and saying, can you trust me? Life comes from God. Choose me. What I think that is important for you to see today is that the word of God is a tree of life. It's something that we continually return to to receive God's sustaining life, even his eternal life. Now, the, another neat connection between the tree that's in the garden and the word of God um, comes with the mention of certain kinds of angels. So in Genesis chapter 3, we see that God places cherubim. This is a specific reference to a certain type of angel over the entrance to the garden to keep Adam and Eve out so that they will no longer be able to eat from the tree of life. Now, we, the next place we see the mention of these specific kind of angels, the cherubim, is in the temple. And so many of you know the story of the temple. There was first a temporary temple called the tabernacle and then a permanent temple. But in that temple, there was a, a back room, the most holy place. And in the back room, there was a box called the ark. And inside the ark was the word of God. Now, on top of that box were two cherubim guarding the box. But it's a little different now. Because rather than the cherubim keeping people away from the tree of life, the cherubim are there inviting people in, in a particular way, to experience the word of God and eternal life. All right, that's scene two of the story of the tree of life. The scene, scene three, and this is where, really where we all have our own choice, has to do with a person. As you read through the scriptures, you'll see mention of people being likened to a tree of life. Certainly God can use people and their words to bring life and even speak eternal life and truth to different people. We also see in the scriptures that a person can be the manifest image of wisdom and truth in God's word. So you get to John chapter 1. John the theologian says this about Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That divine wisdom that was shared in the scriptures actually can become a person speaking of Jesus. Now for a moment I want you to remember or think back to the world that Jesus lived in. It's a Jewish world. It's a very religious world. 
And it's a world where Jesus and all of those that he taught, they would have grown up with the narrative of the tree of life. And they would have been aware that there was a tree originally in the garden that they were forbidden from taking from again, but that God had made another way and he had given them the scriptures. And so, as I mentioned earlier, that is why many synagogues today are named the tree of life. And that is why if we go back to Andrea's art, this is some of the most common art that you will find in a synagogue today. Even beautiful stained glass in synagogues have to do with the tree of life. And so think of it for a moment. Let's say Jesus is in the synagogue that he would go to on every Shabbat. And he's there as a young boy and he's looking up at this beautiful image of a tree like this. And he'd ask his mom and dad, he'd say, what does that tree mean? What is that tree? And they say, it's the tree of life. What does it mean? And they would say, it shows the generosity of God that he wishes to share with us eternal life. And Jesus would, might have asked, where, where is it now? And they say, we don't know. And we've been separated from that tree, but God has made another way. And he's now given us the word of God. And so even in uh, Jewish worship services, right before the scriptures are read, which is the center of worship for Jewish people, they will sing songs that start with the tree of life. So Jesus enters that world. He enters the world with all of these different images, all of these different uh, metaphors that the Jewish rabbis and the writers of the scripture have been riffing on for years. And he begins to say things like this. John chapter 6, then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Now listen, Jesus is not trying to be gross and creepy here. He is once again, though, borrowing from a Jewish image from the past. So we know that he's borrowing from the image of the Jewish people eating manna every day in the desert. That's what sustained them. But I think he might be reaching back even further to the tree of life that they are meant to eat from. He goes on, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise them up in the last day for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them just as the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Hmm. So he's saying life comes from God, but he's now revealing a different tree of life. Scripture is embodied in him, just as the tree that was there in the garden that Adam and Eve had a choice to choose from. He's saying, you have a choice to choose me. He's reaching all the way back into that story and say, just like that fruit was a means by which God shared eternal life with you, I am the same. And that is why Jesus said things like this. He's trying to draw people to a decision. Will you choose to trust the life that God wants to give you or we make one on your own. So Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's almost a sum up. He's almost summarizing the entire story of the tree of life. Will you choose me? Now here's what I want you to see. Every one of us, every day, is faced with a choice. We're faced with a garden moment. We stand in front of two trees. And we're faced over and over again during our day of choosing life from God or from someone else. Where does life come from? Is it only up to us? Are we going to let the, um, the fear of sin and death cause us to just take what we can to control our own lives, to exploit others, to be selfish? Or will we choose to say life comes from God and will we trust him and let him create a new life in us? 
See, this isn't just a one-time transaction. In the same way that the tree of life, and this is Jewish tradition, but I certainly think it's true. In the same way that the tree of life was meant to be eaten from over and over again, and in the same way that the scriptures we're meant to return to over and over again, we need to choose Jesus over and over again. There are too many people who are trying to live their daily faith out in just a past decision, and they are no longer choosing him today. Right now, with everything that's going on with COVID, it's just a time of disappointment and loss. The world is full of death. Physical, literal, we can go so far that it's even leading to spiritual death. We're just losing ourselves. It is now more important than ever that we continue to return to the tree of life to receive that sustaining life. Life comes from God. Now let me give you the last chapter of the tree of life because the tree is mentioned there and so is Jesus. So as we read this, if you're not familiar with the Bible, I'll give you another metaphor that we use and that is for Jesus is that he is like a lamb. Lambs were used for sacrifice. Jesus himself was a sacrifice. So listen to this, the tree of life and the lamb of God, Jesus there together. Revelation 22, verse one. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are the healing, are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any more curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be the city, and His servants will serve Him, and they will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. So I don't know if it's a literal tree that we'll see someday in paradise. I kind of think it will be. I think it will be there and it'll tell the story. Remember when God shared his eternal life with Adam and Eve in this way. And then the word of God will be there and he will say, remember when he shared it this way. And then Jesus will be there on the throne and will remember the ultimate way in which God shares life with us. But let's not make the mistake to think that this is just a future thing. Jesus said the kingdom of God is now. Eternal life is for this moment. We can live in it and we can enjoy it now. Revelation 2.7, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who is victorious. I'll give them the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. My friends, God gives us the ability right now to eat from the tree of life. And it's through Jesus. Now, as we close today, we're going to share communion. And so you might want to gather together your elements and we're going to share in what I believe is some imagery that is connected to the story of the tree of life. As we close our message today, I want us to take communion together, wherever you're at, watching this message, I would encourage you to, to grab uh, some bread or a cracker um, and some wine or some juice as we partake in this, this practice together. And many of you know that this is an act of remembering the death of Jesus. And this is an act of joining ourselves to him. But if you think about this in light of the, the narrative of the tree of life, what are we doing? It's a symbol of once again eating from the tree of life. Just like Jesus said, eat my body, drink my blood. Now he wasn't saying do that in a literal way, but in this, this picture of drawing from God and receiving from him what only he can give. So as we take the elements together, you know, the bread represents his body that was broken for us. And the cup represents his blood that was poured out for us. Life comes from God. Specifically, life comes through his sacrifice, his death. 
Now think of this in a, for a moment before we take the elements together. What happened in the garden when Adam and Eve ate from the forbidden tree was an anti-communion. What they were saying is that life doesn't come from God. It comes from something else. It comes from our own understanding, our own ability to control other narratives. It comes from different things. But what we're doing today is we're saying life comes from God. And so let's take the bread and eat it together. And then the cup. Let's let what this represents be a reminder of what we have the choice of doing every day. That God's life is free, it's available to us, and we can choose him even today and tomorrow in a way that brings the eternal into the present. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for just the the narrative themes that we find in the scriptures. And we thank you that, God, as we connect these things, that we see that you have been telling the same story all along. And specifically, Father, we see that you've been telling a story about a God who is full of joy and wanting to share his life with us. God, you could have made us eternal, but you made us in such a way that we would need to return to you. So we see, God, that you wish to be generous and that we are dependent on you. Help us see that. I pray, God, that we might draw from you every day in the same way that the tree was meant to be eaten from often and the scriptures are meant to be read often to bring life to our life. I pray that we would come to Jesus and we would receive his life. Help us die to ourselves and receive the life that you're giving us. We thank you, God, that you tell a story that is beautiful and true and good. Help us live that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.